Good morning. The Bible reading today is from Romans 15, verses 5 to 13. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me. Good morning, everybody. If you have, uh, if you, it'd be helpful to keep Romans 15 open. If you have that in front of you, that's where we're going to be centered today. Um, I'm going to start this sermon with a bit of a rant, um, but the rant has a point. So hopefully you can uh, you can indulge me for a second. Um, tolerance has become a major buzzword in our culture today. Maybe you maybe you're aware of that. Maybe not. Um, but in the past 20 years, there's been a significant shift in our culture toward tolerating people who are different from you. Uh, this has been so ingrained in people that, ironically, you will not be tolerated if you haven't tolerated someone else. Um, I don't know what to do with that, but there you go. Uh, whether it's someone who has different political opinions from you, uh, has a se- different sexual identity than you, uh, who is from a different culture, who is a different gender, from a different generation, who think differently, talk differently, dress differently. It is taboo not to view them um, as a fellow human instead of someone who's lesser or other or whatever. And personally, I think that that radical shift toward tolerance is, for the most part, a really good and helpful thing for us as a society Um, We have come to terms with the idea that things like racism and sexism and exclusivism and ageism and body shaming are not helpful in an increasingly diverse and multicultural society. But, that being said, toleration is really just a band-aid on a much bigger problem. What is that problem? Well, according to Romans, uh, to Paul in Romans chapter 3, the problem is this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the problem. Everybody. uh, Everybody has fallen short. So why does racism exist? Well, because humanity has failed to live up to God's design for us to live in harmony 
with one another and to view every person as being a, a bearer of the image of the Lord. And it's our natural human bent uh, to turn these desires and thoughts that we have toward other people into looking at people as objects uh, and label them and stereotype instead of fulfill relationships that the way Jesus intended us to. That's why racism exists, because this underlying uh, current of this fact that we're all fallen short. So whereas the idea of toleration might tell you, well, it might, it's, it's probably wrong for you to be racist, uh, maybe the, the, the sort of solution that tolerism tells us is that, well, maybe you should just keep your mouth shut then about how you view other people. Um, and if that's really what the solution of uh, this is, of what the best that toleration offers us, it really can't change the endemic problem of the human heart. So why am I mentioning this? Why am I going off on this rant? It sounds very politically correct or whatever, and I promise you I'm not trying to use this as a platform for my own opinions or whatever. Um, We are closing today this sermon series through the second half of Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We've called this series A New Way of Living because that's exactly what Paul is talking about in chapters 8 to 16. Uh, This is a church that he has never been to, but he's hoping to visit one day. So he writes this letter as an introduction to who he is and what he's on about. And he highlights two main things that are of vital importance to him, to this church, and really to any church. Uh, The first thing can be summed up in Romans chapter 5, verse 6, where he says, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul spends a large portion of this letter talking about how humanity is broken and in need of saving, in need of fixing But God has not abandoned us to our own mistakes, but sent Jesus to die for us so that we may live. And he says, by putting our hope and trust in Jesus, we will be made right with God again. And that's really good news. That's the gospel. But the second thing Paul emphasizes is um, the effects that this new life in Jesus has. Specifically, Paul is addressing a church in Rome that is made up of a diverse group of people who aside from having a saving faith in Jesus, have actually very little in common. Uh, You have Susie Q over here, who is Jewish. She's Middle Eastern, she dresses a certain way, she eats a certain food, she speaks Hebrew. But not only that, she understands Jesus in a certain way. She worships in a certain way. She prays Jewish prayers. But over here, you have Joe Bob. Uh, Joe Bob is Italian. He's very robust. He dresses a certain way. He eats lots of pasta and cheese and cured meats. He's Mediterranean. He understands Jesus from a different perspective than Susie Q does. He worships with his hands raised instead of head bowed. He prays with boisterous tones instead of in humble whispers. And that's just two members of this one church family. Um, And in this new gathering, with all these people who, uh, who love Jesus... They're asking this question, how the heck do we all get along? What's the right way to come together and to worship and to do this Christian life? If they were living in a 21st century Western context, we would probably say, well, guys, just tolerate each other. That's what you should do. That's the buzzword for today. Just put up with the fact that Joe Bob over here is different than Susie Q. That means then just don't ask questions, don't rock the boat, Don't open your mouth. 
Don't say things like, well, my family, we worship Jesus this way, and in my family, we do things this way. Especially don't bother them if they are too different from you. Tolerate that person enough to acknowledge that, yeah, they're a part of this church gathering, but you don't really need to hang out with them. You don't really need to know them. You don't need to talk with them. You can just come over here, sit where you always sit, with your little church friends and your own little church clique, uh, and just be there and welcome those people and know those people really well. But just don't, don't even look at the other side of the room. Just ignore them. Just, yeah, they're there. They're sort of doing their own thing. But you don't really need to go out of your way for those people. That's what the high cultural ideal of toleration tells us that we should do. But that's not really good enough for Paul. And this is the reason why I bring it all up. Remember, he says, in light of this amazing truth that Jesus has rescued you when you could not save yourself and has made you right with the holy God, everything has changed. You cannot keep going on, he says in Romans chapter 12, acting and looking like everyone else around you. The good news is that because of your transformed status in Jesus, it means every area of your life can be changed, can look different and be different. And to Paul, the most important Uh, transformation that happens uh, is within the community of believers. Because it is with brothers and sisters in Christ that we are reminded of God's truth. We feel God's love in tangible ways. We build one another up. We spur one another on uh, when we become, and we become more and more like Jesus when we live this life with each other. You cannot and will not experience the power and love of Christ in their full measure, if you do not connect yourself with other believers. It just, it just doesn't happen. It's not possible. You must do this Christian walk with others because that's how God designed us, uh, that we are meant for community, to be in a relationship with one another. And this community is meant to reflect in dynamic and powerful ways uh, of God and who he is to the world around us. So how does Paul suggest that we do this, that we get along, that we know each other well. How does he say that? Well, if you've been paying attention over the last few weeks, he's mentioned it several times throughout chapters 12 to 14. But as he concludes uh, this letter here in chapter 15, Paul leaves the thought again afresh in this church, church's mind uh, about what they are to do as a people who have been transformed by the death and resurrection of Jesus. So what does he say? Have a look. Uh, Romans 15, verses 5 to 7. Have a look in your Bibles. He says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to be, bring praise to God. Uh, Here he is essentially saying two things. First of all, he tells the church to be one, to share the same attitude and to share the same voice, Uh, to be unified, where there's no division, there's no fighting, there's no trying to get your own way, there's no looking down on other people, but the way that you think about one another and the message that you proclaim to the world around you should be one, to think the same, to talk the same. And that sounds really awesome, doesn't it? It wouldn't be a great to be a church that's all unified like that. 
We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We will work with each other. We will work side by side. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. I love that song. It's great, right? It sounds amazing, right? We sing it. We, we, that's, what, that's what the ideal picture is, right? That we are doing these things with one another. And they will know. The world around us will know as they look at us. The way that we love one another and care for one another. That we are Christians by the way that we do these things together. In our unity, right? It sounds amazing. But then, I look around and uh, I see that there are thousands upon thousands of Christian denominations out there. There are churches that are split because they don't like, they can't agree on the color of the carpet. That's, like, it actually happens. It's a silly thing. And uh, I remember how sometimes, even in, this own, in our own church community here at Narrabeen Baptist Church, there are people, believe it or not, who feel alone who feel that no one knows them or even thinks about them or misses them if they're not here. And I think, well, Paul, then, that's really great advice that you all want us to be, you want us to be one and to care for one another. And that sounds really good to be over the moon for one another, but it's not, it's not exactly super practical, right? It's not really realistic to be that way. Maybe it sounds good in theory, but maybe we're just too individualistic and stressed out, and busy, and rushed in 21st century Sydney to achieve this, right? Well, hold on, Paul says, because you forgot the second thing that I mentioned here. So yes, you are to be a church that should be one. But here's how you do it. Have a look at verse 7. Accept one another. There you go. Accept one another. And you think, well, really, Paul? That's your eureka moment. That's how we do this. We're one in the spirit thing. That's how, we, that's how we come along. Because accepting one another sounds like the same thing as tolerating one another. Doesn't it? Uh, and if that's all you meant, Paul, well, I don't think we'll look or act like a church that is unified and present ourselves as this redeemed picture of life to the world around us if we're just tolerating one another. But before we go down that track too far... Uh, It's time to get some Greek on. Are you guys ready? Stretch out your muscles. Get some Greek on. I love Greek. It's awesome. The word accept there is the Greek word proslambano. Say that with me. Proslambano. Proslambano. It sounds good. And YouTube played the other day. It sounds like something about him. Proslambano. Bono. Uh, Anyway, uh, this word literally means to take that person into your life. To take someone almost by force into your life. There's a show on SBS, I don't know if you watched it, called Go Back to Where You Came From. Maybe you've seen it, maybe you've heard about it, I don't know. Um, It's a show about Australia's refugees and our attitudes toward people who are different from us. Uh, And people willingly sign themselves up uh, to be um, part of this experiment where they will be placed in the shoes of a refugee. Um, so we're introduced to them as you watch the show, and uh, they, these people who have different opinions um, are placed first with refugee families who have settled here in Australia, and they, they live with them, they eat their food, they get to know them and hear their story, and then they get taken out to sea and put in boats and uh, sort of live the life of a boat person. And then they get taken to these poverty-stricken and war-torn countries to give them this first-hand perspective of the plight of a person who flees in order to survive. And 
the show, if you've ever watched it, some people will change their minds. Some people uh, maintain the position that they had. Uh, but it's really interesting. Uh, one man that I was watching uh, who volunteered to go on a show was very anti-refugee. Um, and unlike some other volunteers who were on the show, I felt like uh, he, was, he was really well-educated and had entirely defensible positions on why he thought refugees shouldn't be accepted into the country. But then he went on a journey with a refugee, uh, a stranger, a foreigner, a non-entity to him before, became this personalized, fully human person, someone who had a story uh, and dignity and worth, a person who he found was not all that different from himself in many ways. And by the end of this, this experiment, at least for this one man who went on the show, he not only changed his views on the subject, but he became a friend and advocate for those escaping persecution and disaster. Um, and that sort of idea is what Paul is trying to communicate with this word, proslambano. That's what that word means. The type of relationship where um, if you want to achieve unity, which is definitely achievable, it starts by walking across the room and making a stranger into a friend. Where you're putting yourself in that person's life, in their story, and you're getting to know them on this deep level. And why do we do this? Paul says, well, he gives several different reasons why we should uh, proslambano someone, accept one, uh, someone else, to take that person into our life. He says, first and foremost, it's what Jesus did for us. Uh, that's pretty important. Uh, this theme is highlighted all throughout Romans, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still far off and running away from God, he ran toward us and welcomed us in to his family. So we welcomed others, first and foremost, because that's what Jesus has done for us already. We love because we were loved first. We extend forgiveness to others because God forgave us first. It's the basis for why we do anything at all. Secondly, in that same verse, he says it brings praise to God when we move toward someone else uh, by really knowing them and welcoming them. It builds God's kingdom. It displays God's glory to the world. So why wouldn't we want to be a church uh, that one of the very first things in our mind as we come into this room and we gaze around the room, uh, and st- that we are instantly drawn to someone that we don't know. Why, why wouldn't we want to be a church like that? And if somehow, uh, if somehow I find and welcome someone and we share stories and learn something about each other, that act makes us into family. And that is something so rare in our culture That people of different ethnicities and opinions and ages and genders can come together and not only put up with one another uh, or tolerate one another, but we can extend grace and warmth and hospitality. When this happens well, and I've seen it happen really well, even even here at Narrabeen Baptist Church, it makes people scratch their heads and want to know how they can be a part of that themselves. Because it's so rare in our world today. Finally, he says in verses 8 to 12 that the way that we relate to others and take others into our lives as family and friends fulfills God's promises of old. Uh, He mentions two different groups of people here uh, that this church was comprised of, Jews and Gentiles. Gentile is a fancy word that basically means everybody who's not Jewish. Uh, This church in Rome was multi-ethnic, multilingual, 
language? Anyway, you get what I'm saying. Multicultural. Um, and that can present lots of challenges when it comes to getting along with one another. Right? How do, how do we do that? Yet when we do this well, when we seek to be a gathering of people who know Christ's love and extend that love to one another because Christ did it for us, it not only relate, um, results in praise for God, but it proclaims God's ancient promises into the modern day. Paul talks about a day when there won't be this great divide amongst people groups anymore, uh, where there won't be people who are left out or looked down upon or turned away because of the color of their skin or their gender or whatever, their socioeconomic status or whatever it is. But everyone together will be joining in praising God as one people with one voice. It's the same picture that the Apostle John has in his vision in Revelation of the end, of what it's all going to look like, where he says people of every tribe, tongue, uh, and language are gathered together around the throne of God, singing out his praise forever. That's a picture of what it's going to look like in the afterlife, in heaven, when it's all said and done. So if that's what the picture is then, isn't that what we want now? Shouldn't we be working on that now? And as my NBC church family, those same promises that Paul mentions here about these these people from different backgrounds becoming one can be true of us. Uh, now, today, uh, it happens when we come together in awe of what Christ has done for us, dying the death that we deserved and rising to life so that we may have life in his name. It happens when we, in light of that amazing truth, um, decide that the best outworking of this truth is to share our lives with others. And to, and to welcome others into our life. That as a priority, I, I, I walk into this room and I look around and I say, what? You too? Not the Bono, just you as well? How amazing is that, that you and I can share something in common, that we can be made one? It happens when we move simply beyond toleration of one another and we actively take others into our lives as friends and family because they matter to God. Therefore, they should matter to me. And I cannot tolerate the fact that there are names and stories in this gathering that I don't know. It happens when we seek uh, to serve and go deep rather than simply to come fed um, and remain shallow. Paul reminds us that because of Jesus, we have this new life this new way of living, and that new way of living starts here in the church. We're going to end, um, well, we're going to end by doing something different. We're going to sing, and then I have a challenge for you. But before we do that, we're going to share a meal together. Um, which, if you're following along Paul's thoughts in Romans, this is actually a good way to end. We actually talked about this last week about um, how do you come together and share a meal. We experience brunches and luncheons, many of us. Um, and there's nothing that brings people quite together than sitting around a table and sharing a meal together. In, in the biblical picture, when you share a meal with someone, it means that not only are you letting them into your house, it means you're allowing them into your life and into your heart. You're, you're associating yourself with those sorts of people. When Jesus did this, he got accused of being a drunk and a partier because that's who he hung out with. He sat around the table and welcomed those sorts of people into his life, and they were changed because of it. 
The same thing is true today, that we, you and I, are welcome to eat at Jesus' table. On the night that he was betrayed, he took a piece of bread, and he broke it, and he invited his followers to eat to remind them that this is his body that's been broken for them. And then he took a cup, and he invited them to drink. He said, this cup represents my blood that's been poured out for you. And when you drink this, this is, this is my blood that's been poured for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And by sitting around this table and thinking about what Jesus has done for us, we move from being strangers to being friends and family. It makes us a group of strange, diverse people that have nothing in common to having something amazing in common, and that changes everything. So I'm going to invite those who are helping me with serve communion to come on up here. And as they do, I'm going to pray. And then uh, this will be passed around. And as you take it and eat it and hold the cup, we'll take that together in a minute. But I just want you to spend some time reflecting. What would it look like for me to understand this great picture of what Jesus has done for me? That in him I have this new life and that changes everything. And that the biggest change that starts to happen when we share Uh, in the life of Jesus, is that we look at one another differently. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for sending your son to live the perfect life and die the death that we deserve, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that changes everything. And because he rose again, we can have new life in his name. A new life that not only means a new uh, destiny for us in the afterlife, but changes things here and now. And it starts within this, our church family. That because you've welcomed us and invite us in, you've gone out of your way to um, make us family. You invite us to do that for others. So as we take these simple elements of bread and juice, we pray that we would be reminded of your great sacrifice for us, that you have invited us to your table and made us, us, people who are strangers and rebels, into your family. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As these go around, we pray that, um, yeah, we ask that you take um, bread and eat it and hold on to the cup, and we will drink it together as a sign of our unity in the Lord.